We're continuing our series entitled Living Abundantly. And we have been talking over the past several weeks about living the abundant life that Jesus promised us. And, and what I believe is that abundant life, the core of it is really about the fruit of the Spirit. Because you can live abundantly in this world and still have uh, very little in the way of, of material possessions and money. I believe that because I believe there are people that are in very poor nations who love Jesus with their whole heart and living a very abundant life in Christ who have nothing of that this world offers. And the problem with thinking that abundant life is the things that this world can offer is that the problem is we can lose those things. And I can tell you this right now, in Christ, I'm not afraid of losing this abundant life. And, and the reality is, I believe the core, the heart of that abundant life is what we see in the fruit of the Spirit. Because those are things that Christ is doing inside, inside of us, making us more and more like Jesus, shaping us into the image of our Savior. And, and uh, he, he wants us to give, give us the give spiritual, emotional, and relational abundance. He wants to give us the fullness of life. And Paul lists the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. This is what he says. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now we've talked about love and joy and peace. And, and today we're actually going to be considering two of, of these fruit of the Spirit that I, I consider to be very, very closely tied together Today we're going to talk about patience and we're going to talk about gentleness. And you'll, I think you'll see why they are tied so closely together by the time we're done today. But let's take a moment and pray together and ask for the Lord's help. Heavenly Father, we need to hear from you today. We haven't gathered in this place just to go through the motions. We haven't come in here to, to just do what we, what we think we're supposed to do and get it over with. But we have come here today so that we can be changed by you through the washing of your word and through the power and the working of your Holy Spirit. And I'm asking God that you would speak to every person in this room today and that you would speak to every person who may be watching on the live stream. Speak to us, Lord God, past the level of our emotions and past the level of our intellect. I'm asking God you would speak to us deep in our innermost being. Change our hearts today. Do what you want to do in us today. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Everybody said, amen. amen. Now, friends, I, I believe with all my heart that, that at this point in this series of messages, we move really to a completely different level. We've been talking about what we might consider the, the big spiritual and emotional issues, you know, love, joy, peace. And, and, and honestly, I suspect that if we ask 10,000 Christians to name of the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, that most of them could get as far as love, joy, and peace without a moment's hesitation. However, I, I believe that beyond that, I, I think that the fruit of the Spirit just sort of gets lost in the shuffle sometimes. Furthermore, I, I think that they're not only lost in the shuffle intellectually in terms of having memorized them, but I think they just tend to begin to kind of blend into a kind of a spiritual mush uh, from there, and then we, we sort of lose the point of them. And, and yet it is my conviction that, that here we, we move to a deeper level once we get past love, joy, and peace. It's, it's my conviction that are as, that as important as love, joy, and peace are, and they are massive. They are huge. I'm not belittling them at all, but they are like the gold at the mouth, at, of, at the mouth of the cave. And now the Holy Spirit is going to move on to the deep recesses of our of the human mind and the human human heart. And at this point, uh, in the fruit of the spirit, he begins to move into our innermost being and begin. He begins to pry open some locked cabinets, and he begins to shine light into corners of our lives that have been untouched for so long that cobwebs have begun to grow over them. And 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 here he begins to take us to a into a much more serious introspection as we look at our lives. So let's begin by asking the question, what exactly is patience? What is patience? And I think that we often misunderstand patience to mean sitting and doing nothing. 
We take, we take the passage of Scripture that says, Isaiah 40, 31, that says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And we read that and we, we take that to mean sitting still, doing nothing, and waiting. But the phrase in the Hebrew implies very little of sitting still, waiting, doing nothing, and waiting. If you could picture in your mind a caravan... Of, of people moving across a desert, it gives you a much better idea of the Hebrew idea of waiting on the Lord. The caravan, in a sense, the way the word speaks, it's waiting on an oasis. But if, in waiting on an oasis, if they sit down in the middle of the desert and do nothing, they will die. They keep moving. The idea of patience has with it the idea that we keep moving forward with Christ. He, here, waiting implies the patient endurance through the requirements of the here and now until the fulfillment of my future joy. That's what patience is about, is that we understand we're going through some stuff now, but I'm not going to quit because I know there's something greater coming. W waiting means that I keep walking through the desert, patiently enduring that which appears to have no victory in it at all. You, you, you say, all I'm doing here is just putting one foot in front of the other. But Jesus says that will make you more than a conqueror if you will bear it patiently. So I believe in my whole heart that, that, uh, that it is this point God is re really beginning to deal with our lives. You see, Luke chapter 21, 19 says, By your patience possess your souls. And the term translated patience means to abide under. It means to endure. It has... It's, it's much more closely related to our, our idea of perseverance than it is our idea of, of patience oftentimes. It means to abide under or endure the circumstances. It means to abide under the laws of space and time. It means to abide under the hand of God. True patience is to dwell richly, fully alive in the abundance of my life in Jesus, regardless of circumstances at the moment. That's true patience. Instead, you know what we do? Instead, we, we so often live our lives in such a spirit of rebellion at the moment. It's what we do, especially in our culture. We say, I want it now, right this minute. You know, it's like the old joke. Somebody said, I was praying the other day and said, Lord, give me patience. And would you hurry up about it? That's how we are. We, we just want to gobble up everything that, that, that there is right now in this moment. We want to rush headlong, headlong uh, into the satisfaction of our appetites, our demands, our desires, and our passions. But the problem with that is that it does not allow us to understand its, the, the relationship to God's character. You see, we need to know that God is a God of timing. God is not a God who does everything now in this moment without a second's hesitation. And anybody who's ever uh, who spent a, a period of time praying and asking God to move, you know that God does not do everything you want him to do right when you want him to do it. Has anybody discovered that? Right. He is a God of timing. Look at Ephesians 1 verse 10. This is a very full passage of scripture for us. It says this, and this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Now that is saying that God has a timetable. He has a timetable and nothing, no person, no circumstance, no situation, nothing is going to compel him into changing that timeline. He knows what he's doing and he knows when he's going to do it. Take, for example, God is in, in, in his infinite grace and, and tenderness and mercy and uh, for the people of Israel. Just imagine, you know, he heard them languishing and crying out under the taskmasters in, uh, in, in Egypt. And if, if God had not been a God of patience, who had a timetable, who was determined to follow his own timeline... He would have acted in that moment. He, he might have said, you know what? I'm not going to wait for Moses anymore. I'm not going to have any of that time wandering in the wilderness. I'm, I'm not going to send the law. I'm not going to do any of those things. I'm just going to, I'm not going to wait and go through David and do the things that I had planned with him. I'm not going to go through any of the prophets or anything like that. 
I'm just going to go ahead and send Emmanuel. I'm going to send my son right now. But that would have been the wrong time. And it never would have worked. It never would have worked. He knew what needed to happen before his plan could be fulfilled. I thank God that he waited until exactly the right moment. And I thank God that he is waiting patiently, not delaying, but he is waiting patiently until exactly the right moment when he's going to turn to Gabriel and he's going to say, okay, Gabe, it's time. Blow your horn now. And the eastern skies will open and the, the clouds will roll back and we'll rise to meet him in the air. But you know what? I want that day, but I don't want God to hurry. I want that to, to be at exactly the right moment, done exactly the right way, at exactly the right time. God is a God of patience. Now, as, as we understand that God is a God of timing and patience, we, we begin to understand that God wants this same patience in our lives. And that's a hard thing for us, especially in our culture. I'm going to say something that may sound a little bit shocking to you, but I want you to hear it and understand what I'm trying to say. God will not be hurried by our tears. I'm not saying that He does not care about our tears. I'm saying He will not be hurried by our tears. He is not intimidated by our emotional outburst. Imagine, if you will, you know, a a, a battlefield surgeon who must operate on a soldier who has been critically wounded, but but, but he has no morphine left. And so he's got to perform this very painful surgery on a wounded soldier, but he has no anesthesia. And several of the soldiers hold their, their buddy down and the surgeon begins this, his excruciating, excruciating, agonizing, painful work. And as the surgeon begins to operate, the, the soldier is screaming out, hurry, hurry, doc, hurry, hurry. I can't stand this pain anymore. Would you just hurry? But the doctor continues methodically, not hurrying, doing each thing exactly as it needs to be done in the order that it needs to be done because he knows that if he hurries, if he cuts corners, he's not doing that soldier any favors at all. But to the soldier, it appears to him as if the doctor's slow, unhurried pace is cruel. To the soldier, it feels like immense insensitivity to the moment of his pain. And you know, I think God is just the same. But I have to know that God knows exactly what I need. And God knows exactly when I need it. And God will not be hurried by the fact that I hurl myself on the floor and kick and weep and cry and throw a temper tantrum like a three-year-old. I don't know if you've noticed, but small children at times can have a tendency to become imp impatient on occasion. Anybody noticed any of that? Has that ever happened to you? Like I, I heard a story about a little four-year-old boy who was celebrating the 4th of July with his family, and, and it just came upon him that he wanted a drink of water, but for some reason, whatever reason, he decided, this, this, this little four-year-old boy, he decided that he wanted that water from his mother's own hand and would not accept it from anyone else. His grandfather, he said, I'm thirsty. I want a drink of water. And his grandfather said, all right, come with me. I'll go in the house and, and get you a glass of water. And that little boy said, no, I want it from my mother. I want it from my mother. And the little boy's mother said, son, I'm, I'm busy. I'm barbecuing the chicken here and I can't get away right now. I can't get it for you right now. And the little boy just hurled himself backward on the grass, just screaming and crying, I want a glass of water! I want a glass of water! And the grandfather went to the house and brought the boy a glass of water and said, here you go, here you go. And that little boy, can you imagine this? That little boy just slapped that glass with his hand and water flew everywhere and he just kept screaming, I want water and I want it from my mama! I want it now! Well, his mother just quietly laid down the tools with which she was barbecuing the chicken and she walked straight into the house and she brought out a glass of water and threw it right in his face. Just drenched him. Just drenched him. He was just sputtering. And she said, there, will that do? Now, I don't know if that story teaches anything about God, but it does teach us a lot about mothers. You cannot trust a mother. That's what it says right there. Um, uh, but, but God is a, is a God who will not wait 
Uh, he, he will not be hurried by our tantrums, by, our, by, by what we say we want, by our tears, by our urgency. He has a plan. He has a timeline. He's going to do what he's going to do at the right time. Now, with that said, God is also a God who will not wait one second longer than is perfectly necessary for him to wait. He's not a God who will be hurried by his own, our own immediate needs, need, immediate sense of the need. But, but God understands the situation. He understands it, frankly, far better than we do. He sees a much bigger picture than we do. And he says, run with patience the race that is set before you. See, what you think is, oh, God. I'm just laboring. My, my lungs are screaming. I'm barely able to walk, much less run. I'm going to faint. I'm going to fall down. I just, I can't take another step. I can't endure. I can't bear up under the pressure. And, and you think that, that, that God is nowhere to be found. But the reality is that the entire time God is running behind, beside you saying, run a little bit farther. Run a little bit longer. If you quit here, I'm not going to drag you to the finish line. But if you'll keep running, I'll give you the victor's crown. I'll give you a reward that will never fade away. But just keep moving. Just keep going. The, the, the issue of patience patience is, a fundamental, is fundamental with God. I believe that there, there are Christians who quit at the least blow. At the, at the least difficulty, I, I believe there's some Christians who have a spiritual glass jaw and the least little thing that happens, they're just ready to throw in the towel and they, they quit at the least little battle. I, I believe it is because that they believe that God has deserted them and in the impatience of their petulant spirit, they refuse to get up and walk and they want God to carry them. And God says, no, you walk, you keep moving forward. I'm right here. I will help you. I will empower you. I will not forsake you. But you need to walk in this patience. Now, as with all the fruit of the Spirit, there is a contrast. There, there is a counterfeit in the flesh. And the counterfeit in the flesh for patience is laziness or it's resignation to the events and circumstances around us. It's sort of the attitude that just says, well, whatever will be, will be. You know, I'll just sit here and let anything that happens, happens to me. I'm not going to work. I'm not going to strive. I'm not going to pray. I'm, I'm not going to do the best that I can do. And whatever happens, happens. Listen, I want you to hear me. That is not waiting on God. That is not waiting on God. Waiting on God, remember again, that picture of the caravan, waiting on God is to keep footing, putting one foot in front of the other. And when the desert sands are burning through the, through the soles of your shoes and you're so exhausted that you can't, that you can't move, it, you remember, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And when you can't run anymore, then you shall walk and not faint. And when you can't walk anymore, you'll stand fast and at the end of the day and when you think that you can't stand anymore if you will just simply do that which God put before you right now in this moment patiently enduring the test then your faith will be purified like gold you know it, it just I want to say this it, it crosses my mind that you, how many of you ever heard somebody say oh don't pray for patience you ever heard first of all that is just ridiculous it's ridiculous because God's working to develop the fruit of the Spirit in your life, whether you pray for it or not. So He's working to build patience, whether you know it or not, whether you pray for it or not. In fact, when you pray for patience, maybe it will help you realize what He's doing and you'll respond in the right way. So, so don't fall into that trap and say, well, don't pay for, pray for patience. No, God is going to give you opportunities to grow in patience every single day of your life, especially if you have small children. I guarantee you that. Listen, this idea of patiently enduring, th this is a truth that is largely wasted on 21st century Americans because we want it and we want it now, don't we? We want that glass of water from our mother's own hand and we want it like yesterday. And we pitch ourselves down on the lawn to throw a 4th of July fit, but God will not be hurried. He's not intimidated 
by my temper and tantrum. He's not hurried by my tears. Now, it's one thing to talk about being patient in affliction, patient underneath the situation or circumstances, but, but what about in my relationships with others? First, let me say that there is a direct line between patience and gentleness, gentleness because there's a direct line between impatience and wrath. If I'm impatient, I will be angry. If I'm impatient, I will be critical, jealous, and envious. If I'm impatient, I'll be filled with anger, division, and argumentation. If I'm patient with others, then I have a tendency to be gentle with others. Don't you see the connection there? That if I'm patient with people, I will be gentle with people. That, that's, there's a connection there. Patience with others has a tendency to make me gentle with others. Impatience with others... Will, will tend to make me harsh and brittle and judgmental of others. Now, with that said, how can I detect a lack of patience and gentleness in my life? Well, some of these are obvious. Some questions to ask. Ask yourself, do I fly off the handle quickly? Do I fly off the handle quickly? Do I lose my temper quickly? Am I quick to lash out at other people? Because if you do, it's probably a sign that you lack patience and gentleness. Here's another one. Am I unsympathetic with the pain and weaknesses of others? Claiming perhaps an exalted sense of my own ability and strength. But if I'm unsympathetic with other people, that's a sign of impatience and a lack of gentleness. Here's the third one you might not think about. Am I rebellious toward authority? Am I rebellious toward authority? Rebellion against authority is a sign of impatience. Think, think about it like this. Think about it in the life of, of a child. The little child says, I, I want to be fully grown. I want the rights and responsibilities and privileges now. I don't want any limitations. I'm not going to hold anybody's hand. I don't want any help up the steps. I can put my own shirt on, thank you very much, and that's final. Right? Well, Hannah's up here with a little uh, uh, smile on her face because she's got a little one that I'm sure does, at times does not want her help, even though he desperately needs it. You know, the, that, that's really the voice of a rebellion. I, I want to rush out into the street on my own. And so don't clutch at my hand. I want to go where I want to go when I want to go. And, and I mean, isn't there something about that moment when, when a little three-year-old child just jerks their hand away from you as they walk across a parking lot and they, they just, just pull it away from you? And isn't there something about that that's just absolutely infuriating to, to a degree? I mean, you know, I mean, what, what is that? What, what is that when a child will jerk his hand away from you and pull it behind his back and it just infuriates you? It's because that child is making a statement. I want to be as grown up as you are. I want to be able to see over the tops of these cars. I want to have everything that you have. I want to have your view, your power, your physical strength, your intelligence, your wisdom, your judgment. I want to be able to discern the situation the same way you do. You do. And if I hold you, let you hold my hand, it implies to me that I somehow need you. So I'm going to just jerk my little fist out of yours and glare at you. And it just makes you want to thump them. Doesn't? Oh, come on. Now, don't act so spiritual in here. Just tell the truth. It makes you want to thump them, doesn't it? Well, you know what? When I talk about that, God seems to say to me, that's exactly how I feel when you jerk your hand out of mine. The whole issue of a rebellious spirit is actually, at the core of it, is impatience with the, with, with the situation, with the circumstances, with my own limited growth, my own limited maturity and abilities? Am I, and so therefore, rebelliousness toward authority is a sign of impatience. That I want to do what I want to do, and I want to do it now. I'm not going to wait until I have the authority or I, I can learn how to do it. Here's the next one. This is a big one. Do I try to twist the situation around to make things work out now? That's called manipulation. I lack patience when I scheme and contrive and try to twist the situation around to make things work out the way that I want it to work out right now. It's a lack of faith and it's a lack of patience. Because I'm saying to God, 
I know you're up there somewhere working on something, but you, you probably need my help here. So I'm going to jump in and I'm going to try to make it work out the way that I think it ought to work out. And so I probably know better than you and I'm not going to wait on you. You see this? Um, a, a patient person can hear and accept the word no. How, how complicated is the word no? If, if there's someone near you, from, especially from your own family, I want you to turn to them right now and, and just say no. Go ahead, do it. Look at them and say no. Some of you, some of you enjoyed that way too much. Listen, that, that is not a bad thing to hear the word no. It's a very healthy and wholesome thing, especially for your children to hear the word no. The, the, the ability to hear, understand, and accept the word no is a sign of patience. Uh, comprehending the meaning of no and being willing to abide under no is, is a sign of patience. And it, it, you know, I, it seems to me that in every family, there's, there's, uh, seems to be at least one child in every family that's sort of, sort of the, the, the locker room lawyer. You, you, you know what I'm saying? I'm talking about, say all your children come to you and they're like, we want to go to Disney World today or we want to go to Six Flags today or wherever it is, we want to go wherever today. And you say, no, no, it's it, not today. It's too far away and it costs $6,000 to get in. And so, no, uh, the answer is no, we're not going to go. And most kids, uh, you know, they, they might not like it, but they'll say, all right, I understand that. But then there's always going to be the one child that will say, okay, okay, I, I, under, I understand that. I fully understand what you mean by no. That, that makes sense to me. I understand no. But, 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 can we just kind of go down there and park in the parking lot? Could we just park in the parking lot? And they start negotiating with you and you say, no, we're not going to go park in the parking lot. Oh, okay. 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 I understand that. The answer is no. I understand fully what you mean. That's fine. But the other kids and I are just going to go out and sit in the car and roll up the windows. And I know it's 104 degrees in the shade and we'll probably die in there. But of course, we could drive down to the parking lot and turn the air conditioning on. Everything will be okay. This is a child who does not understand no. And listen, the most difficult task in the world for the parents of the locker room lawyer is to teach that child to abide under the limitations imposed by authority. The most difficult task for the parents of that child is to teach that child that no means no. No means no if you beg. No means no if you plead. No means no if you cajole. No means no if you cry. I will not be bribed. I will not be intimidated. I will not be browbeaten. Your tears will not sway me. The answer is no. And I want, I want you to know that is not an unwholesome thing. And some, there's some that might be saying, man, I'm glad a pastor is not my dad, you know, that sort of thing. But, but I'm telling you that this is crucially important to the development of character in your child's life. And, and if you constantly, if you always give in to that child, they will never learn to accept no. And here's the problem with that. If we can't learn to submit to, uh, to natural authorities in this life, how will that child respond to God when God says no? See, by them learning to submit to you, the authority with, that they can see, they're learning to submit to the Father, the one they can't see. And if they can't come to the place where they know that no means no with you, then they won't believe that God means it when He says no means no. This is why it's so crucially important for the character development of your child. And, and, you know, people can't believe that, especially Pentecostals and Charismatics. I actually heard a sermon one time. Uh, it, the title of the sermon was, God Never Says No. And I just want to ask that preacher, what Bible are you reading? <laughs> because I see it all over the place there. But I will tell you this, God will answer every one of your prayers. He will answer. I people, hear people ask, why didn't God answer my prayer? Well, listen, He answers every single one of our prayers. Every prayer you prayed is answered by God. To some of them, he says, yes. And oh, I love that. Don't you? I mean, man, I love it when I get a yes from God. But sometimes he says, not now. You're not ready for it. Like when my youngest daughter, when she was two, and she started crying in her car seat because she said she wanted to drive. 
<laughs> well, the answer was no, but it wasn't a no. It was a not now. You're not ready for that. And neither is the world, frankly. And sometimes God says no. And you know what? No is an answer. It is an answer. And God says that's final. Patience means that I will not contrive. I will not, not manipulate. I will not strive to get my way. But I'll let God, God do whatever God's going to do. And if he says no, then I live with that and move on. That's patience. Well, what's the damage done by a lack of patience and gentleness? Well, let me give you an example in the birth of Ishmael. God had promised Abraham, Abraham and Sarah that they were going to have a son. We all know the story. Now, here's the thing. If they had abided under the promise and under the limitations of time, if they had only waited, God was going to fulfill the promise in his own way in his, at his own perfect time because he will not be hurried. But you see, we forget because we read it in a matter of a few chapters. But from the time God made that promise to his name was Abram at the time, he made that promise at the beginning that, that by, by the time it was fulfilled and his son Isaac was born, it was 25 years gap. And by that time he was 100, over 100 years old. And so he's just, if he would have just believed the promise and waited on God, God was going to do it at just in the way he wanted to do it at just the right time. But, but, but he didn't do that. When God saw, he, he and Sarah got together and thought, you know, God must need our help on this. He must need our help. So she came up with a plan and say, hey, let me just give you my handmaid in Hagar and you take her as a concubine, as kind of a second wife, sort of, and you have a child with her, and that, that'll be the child. Then we'll, we'll just answer, we'll get in there, we'll work it out for God. And it, but, but God wasn't going to be heard. When, when God saw Sarah planning to give Hagar to Abraham, wouldn't, wouldn't God be hurried by that? Oh, oh, I've got I've to go ahead and give them a child. They're going to make a big mistake here. No, God said, I will... I, I will do it when I say. It's not until I say it's the right time. And when he saw Abraham going into the tent of Hagar about to conceive the child, would, wouldn't God say, oh, no, no, wait, oh, okay, I'll go ahead and give you the child now. No, he said, I will not be hurried, not till the right time. And here's the problem. When you contrive, manipulate, and twist the situation around to try to force the issue, the problem is, and Ishmael will be born. Now listen to this. Once the Ishmael is born, I'm telling you this. Once the Ishmael is born, you're going to have to raise him. Once the Ishmael is born, he's there. You say, what are you talking about? Listen, to this day, we are still to this day in this time period experiencing the problems Introduced when Abraham and Sarah didn't wait patiently. Read the front page of your newspaper. Much of the news in your newspaper is there because Abraham and Sarah wouldn't wait patiently on God. You see, the trouble between the Arab world and Israel stems from that moment because the Arab world is the descendants of Ishmael and, and Israel is the descendants of Isaac. And the trouble we see has been brewing since those, those days. We see massive upheavals of geopolitical forces that are a result of one man and one woman who, who had a promise from God, but wouldn't wait patiently. I'm going to manipulate the situation. Well, God promised us this child, and I know he means it in his own way, but we're going to help God. And when we get in and try to manipulate, we will give birth to something that will be a thorn in our side that we're going to have to deal with because of our impatience trying to manipulate the situation to get what you want instead of waiting on God to give, will give birth to Ishmael's that you'll have to deal with for the rest of your life. It's one of the great problems about finances in this country. Many financial problems come to people who will not wait patiently for that which God may well bring to them in the future. They live by plastic instead of faith. They go right out and put it on a credit card. We want a new couch. We want a new TV. We want a new computer. We want a new iPhone. We want the new clothes. We want all these things and we want them now. Of course, the problem is they look at their bank account and they're both working for minimum wage down at McDonald's, but, but are they going to wait? 
No, they're going to go out and they're going to buy it now. I'm here to tell you this. Listen, I don't care who you are, what kind of money you make. There's always somebody willing to issue a credit card. You, do you want a word from God right now? Do you want a, I have a prophetic word from you. Here it is. Wait, I say. Wait. When you reach for your wallet, wait, I say. When you, when you, when you're, every time your hand goes down to grab that plastic credit card, I say, wait on the Lord. Don't rush to buy things that you cannot actually afford because what you're doing is simply putting yourself in debt to buy the mirage of wealth. It's, the, it's, it's only the image of prosperity. It's not real prosperity, but it is actually the bondage that will destroy you because you will not wait patiently on the Lord. This is one of the great problems which is eating the heart out of our country at this very moment. The government doesn't have any money. It's all right. Spend it anyway. Trillions of dollars in debt. Go on. Spend it anyway. Temporary success built without a real foundation will create buildings that will collapse around you. Years ago in Washington, D.C., uh, a construction company that was owned by the mafia built an office building. But what they did was they mixed oatmeal into the concrete because oatmeal was cheaper than the other ingredients uh, and, and they got the building built. But the problem was, of course, that as soon as uh, anybody got into the building and faced any stress, it fell down. Impatience builds lives that will not stand the test of time. Here's the third thing that happens when we lack gentleness and patience. And this one's very heavy. We pass on traits of manipulation and impatience to those who follow us. Rebecca is a great example. She had a word from God that, that of the two babies in her womb, twins, Jacob and Esau, she had a word from God that the younger Jacob was going to have leadership and authority and power over the elder child Esau. But Rebecca had a word from God that Jacob was to be the anointed of God and Esau was not. She had heard from God on this, but she would not wait on God to bring it to pass. And she taught her son to disguise himself, to trick his father in order to manipulate the situation, to pretend to be Esau. As a result of that, Jacob spent most of his adult life trapped in the patterns of manipulation and deceit. Read his story. You'll see it. He, he remained trapped in those patterns that he learned at his mother's knee. And it wasn't until he came to a full spiritual maturity through, through a mighty dramatic, traumatic, spiritual wrestling match that he broke the pattern of manipulation and deceit that he learned from his own mom. If we continue to live in impatient, grasping, and deceitful manipulation, then those who follow us will be cursed by our sins. I'm not talking about generational curse. I'm talking about they're going to learn how to live in that sin. So what are the results of patience and gentleness? Let's look on the good side. Number one, the best result, one of the main results is that fewer mistakes will be made. If I'm patient, if I wait on God, fewer mistakes will be made. A patient man will, will not be nearly as susceptible to get-rich-quick schemes as those who are impatient. A patient man is going to be much less likely to get his computer infected with a virus because he got an email from a prince in, in, in somewhere in Africa that he had a million dollars for him if, if he would just let him use his bank account to store it in. You heard me mention Dr. Rutland many times, but he told the story of a time when he, he was younger. That some friends called him and said that, that a company had approached them that was going to drill some oil wells in, in Israel. They, they said that they had received some revelation, uh, that some verse of Scripture that said that someplace in Israel was going to be the oil pot of God or something like that. And they were, they were going to sink oil wells in Israel. And they said, we want you to go in with us. We want you to invest in it with us. And, 
He said, and he said, yeah, man, that sounds great. I've always wanted to own an oil well. And he said, the only thing is, I just need a little time to think about it. I need a little time to pray about it. And they said, no, 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 you don't have time to think about it. We only have a small window of opportunity. And Dr. Rutland asked, well, how big is the window? They said, five hours, five hours. We've got to invest in the next five hours. We've got to wire the money to Tel Aviv in five hours. So, the, so, so we need as much as you can invest in the oil wells in the next five hours. And Dr. Rutland said, I'm out. I'm out. I, count me out. They said, it's a great opportunity. And he said, I'm sure I'll regret it in the morning, but I'm sure I'm going to feel like a dope when the oil well comes in. But I made a lifetime practice. I will not be hurried. I take time to make decisions. I'll just wait. Well, those oil wells never gave a drop of anything besides sand. And Dr. Rutland didn't become a millionaire. But you know what? He still had what he had before. Not only will fewer mistakes be made, but I will be more forgiving. Therefore, I will be more forgiving. Let me say it again. I will be more forgiving. Therefore, I will be more forgiven. There's a story in Matthew chapter 18 that helps us see this. I'm going to read it to you. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of God is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Listen carefully to the words he used there. Verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. Listen, does, does this sound familiar? Be patient with me and I will pay you back. Does that sound a little familiar? Verse 30, but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Be a debtor's prison where they'd have to work off their debt. And when they, with the money they earned, it would go to pay off the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jail, jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat you, each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So that's a heavy passage of scripture. One we don't like to talk about. But this servant was forgiven a huge, a vast debt, only to rush out to his friend and demand payment for a tiny little pittance of money. Isn't that just like us? God forgives us for adultery and immorality and wretchedness and rebellion and drunken, drunkenness and lying and deceit and manipulation and every kind of evil thing. And then we rush over to our neighbor's house to, who's done something that we don't like and we just throttle him. Pay up, pay up, pay up. You've done me wrong. And God is standing there saying, wait, wait a minute. I mean, wait a minute here. I forgave you with no limitations. I completely released you from your debt to me, which is what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is saying you don't owe me a thing. But then we want to choke the life out of each other for things that we perceive have been done to us. Impatience with other people's sins reveals that we do not understand how much grace God has showered upon us. You see, this man, to not forgive his fellow servant, showed that he did not understand or did not value how great the debt was that he had been forgiven. And he thought he still had a right to hold a lesser debt. Part of the picture of this is, is this, is that no man can sin against me in a way that is greater than I have already sinned against God. Therefore, if God can forgive me, then I can be patient with that person and I can forgive them. And when I forgive, I receive forgiveness. Do you see it? Impatience shows us that we're not confident with our own forgiveness. Let me give you the third one. In our lives, patience and gentleness 
will cause us to be constantly renewed instead of constantly being beaten down. Where do I get that? I'm not going to, sp- I'm going to need to worry through some of these, but this is where the scripture says, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. When you wait in patience, God will strengthen you. He will renew your strength constantly. Number four, patience and gentleness in my life will have a calming effect in desperate situations. If I wait patiently, calmly in the presence of God, then people around me will find strength if I'm unhurried, calm, at peace, and believe that God can handle this. Wait, don't hurry, don't plunge, stand still, let's just wait on God, let's be patient, God's at work, let's let Him do what He's doing. And other people are encouraged and strengthened in that, and they are calm. Next one, patience gives God the liberty to work His will in this situation. It gives God time to accomplish everything He wants to do. It gives God the freedom to do any, any, do it in any way He wants it to do. Let, let, let me just at this point say a word about the process of sanctification, because, and we're almost finished, so just stay with me. We're so often concerned with the, sort of what we would call the crisis points of faith. You know, the, when I got saved, when I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when I got delivered, when I got when God healed me miraculously, these 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 kind of anchor point moments in our lives, and sometimes we get so caught up with those things and so concerned with those things that we forget the process of sanctification. We we, we forget that God is doing those things in me, which must be done methodically. We forget that God is doing those things in me that must be done in a a proper order. We forget that God is doing those things in me which must be done across a period of time. Because, you know, I believe there are certain things that cannot be done spiritually in your life in your 30s. You have to wait for your 50s or 60s because there are things that you don't understand in your 30s that you understand in your 60s. Anybody know what I'm talking about? There, There are certain things that 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 uh, that cannot be done until you move through some certain things they cannot be done until you have certain experiences they cannot be done until you've broken uh, been broken on a certain set of rocks they cannot be done until you've been remolded again they cannot be done until you've been put back together and, and broken again there there are certain experiences through which we simply must endure in order for God to continue the process of sanctification the process of making us holy the process of making us like Jesus I, and I think that, that, that so often we forget this process of being changed to be more and more like Jesus and we become shattered and disillusioned and confused. And in the midst of things, when things are going wrong, instead of being patient, we forget God is doing something in me even when He's not doing anything around me. God is doing something. He is shaping in me the character of Christ. He is building holiness in me. If I respond to the things that are going on around me in a way that honors Him, He's going to change me. You know, I mean, we 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 pray and we have this great spiritual moment in in the front of the church and around the altar one time, and then like two or three days later, we make a mistake and we sin and we disappoint ourselves or we disappoint somebody else, and immediately we perceive ourselves uh, the the whole situation is being a complete and total failure. And we say, oh man, I was up at church there. I didn't get anything at all. Everybody else might have gotten something from the Holy Spirit, but I didn't get anything. When the fact of the matter is that God may be in that moment crying out to you from heaven saying, will you just give me a little time? Will you, will you not just give up so quickly? Will you? I'm working with you. I'm working in you. I'm working on you. Give me a little time. We spend 40 years messing up our lives, and then we, we want God to completely sanctify and mature us in 40 seconds. All the while, the Holy Spirit is saying, can, can, can I just work with you a little bit? There's some things I need to massage out of your life. There's some things I need, I need to work on here. Be, it, what I'm saying to you, if you'll hear this, is be patient with yourself. Uh, and I'm not saying use that as an excuse to just can, go on living however you want to live. I'm saying be patient with yourself. Don't beat yourself up. Confess your sin. That's what 1 John 1, 9 says. Confess that sin. Let God cleanse you from that unrighteousness. But then don't 
You don't have to spend any more time beating yourself up. Keep moving. Be patient with yourself in the process of growing in the Lord. So how can I increase in patience and goodness? Well, number one, remember the goodness of God when you're abiding under difficult or painful circumstances. Some of you may be going through some very, very difficult things right now. In the midst of all of that, remember that God Himself is good. Though though the situation around me may be evil, I must remember God is absolutely good. Second, this is a big one. Claim the timing of God. Claim the timing of God. Now that's a challenge. Because what we, what we generally pray is, God, I claim your perfect timing as long as it's right this minute. If we could learn to pray, God, listen to this prayer. If we could learn to pray, God, don't bring anything into my life until I'm ready for it. Wives, learn to pray that for your husband. You know, men, I, that's a frustrating prayer for us. Imagine if you're praying, God bless my business. God, give me a million dollars and I'll support Restoration Life Church. I'll, I'll give to the missionaries. Just give it to me and I'll do good with it. And imagine if your wife knelt down right next to you right at that moment and said, God, don't give him anything until he's ready for it. You'd say, God, don't listen to that woman. <laughs> that's what you'd say. I'm the head of the household, so, so uh, don't listen to her. But... But, but honestly, that is a perfectly lucid, biblically informed prayer of faith. God, I claim your perfect timing in my life. Nothing too soon and nothing one minute too late. I claim your perfect timing in my life, even if I have to wait 25 years like Abraham. I claim your timing. I wait on you. Young people, listen to me. How, how many tragic marriages could it be avoided if young people... Would, would walk in the perfect timing of God for their life. If they would say, oh God, I trust you to give me the perfect person at the perfect moment and nothing any sooner than that. God, even if I have to wait until I'm really, really, really old, like 28 or something, don't let me make a mistake by acting too quickly. Claim the perfect timing of God. Third, big one. Accept the imperfections of others and the imperfections of the world. I've got a news flash for you. We do not live in a perfect world. Is that a news flash? Anybody that, that new to you? You know, I see people who fly off the handle at things that honestly are just insignificant. They just rant and rave and scream and yell over things that just don't amount to a hill of beans. I remember one time a few years ago, I was in a theater watching a movie and in the movie, a thunderstorm rolled in and lightning struck somewhere nearby, and it caused a power surge that what it did was that it, it rebooted all of the projection equipment. Because, you know, everything, you know, they don't have a reel with up there and, you know, where they turn it on. It's all computerized. And, and, and so when it shuts off, it has to reboot. And it's, it's like, you know, it takes a while for it to get back to where it was. And then what we found out was when it reboots, they can't go back to where the movie was and just start it there. They have to start it from the beginning again. They have no option, at least their system that they had there. So it rebooted. We were, we were an hour and a half in on a two-hour movie. <laughs> we were right before, right before the whole, the, the, everything. You know, it was all about ready to come together and this whole thing. And, 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 uh, and eventually they came in and told us, they said, uh, well, you know, we, there's nothing we can do. They explain that we can't start the movie where it was. And, and, and so they, if they started it now, then they can't start it on time for the next showing that's advertised. So they just said, told everybody, we're just going to have to cancel this. But here's the thing. They gave everybody that was in the theater a free pass to come back and see any movie at any time. But you know what? The amazing thing to me was there were people who were angry and growling and rude and they were just giving this manager of the theater a hard time, you know, and just being just uh, jerks, total jerks to her as if she had requested a lightning strike to shut her, the her, her projections down, you know? Like she's like, oh Lord, please just do this right now. I'm just looking for trouble in my life. <laughs> well, by the way, 
I went up and said, listen, this is not your fault. I appreciate you giving me a, a free ticket. And I was just as nice as it could be. And then I said, you know what? I'd like to come back and see it again, but I'd like to bring my wife next time. And she said, all right, and gave me two passes. Being nice pays off once in a while, folks. Well, listen, learn at an early age. This is an imperfect world. Life is not always easy and life is not always fair. If there's one thing my girls have heard their life growing up, they could, if they were not shy, they would shout it out from the very back there. If they've heard it once, they've heard it a thousand times. Life is not fair. And life hasn't been fair since the Garden of Eden. It's not fair. And the sooner you learn that, the easier, the quicker you can learn how to be patient in the midst of those issues. I have a word of wisdom for, for, for you. This is from the Hall of Heaven, from the Council of Chambers of God. Are you ready for it? You ready for it? Brace yourself. Don't even write this down. I want you to look right up here at me. I want you to hear this as a word from God. Here it is. In this present age, tires will occasionally go flat. There you go. That's it. That's from God, brother. I'm telling you. Right? Rejoice. You just heard from the Lord. Listen to me. From time to time in this present age, Dishes will be broken and milk will be spilled. All right, that, that's from God. I'm giving you good stuff right here, whether you know it or not. Uh, every now and again, ice storms will come that will knock out your power and will damage your property. But you know what? God says the ice storm is not the issue here. The damaged car is not the issue here. The spilled milk is not the issue here. The broken dishes are not the issue here. The issue here is your own impatient heart. Wait on the Lord. Realize that you live in an imperfect world amidst, amidst imperfect people. And bad stuff happens to people every now and again. And people do dumb things every now and then. And, and, and often they don't intend to. You know, I've always amazed when somebody gets their order wrong and they go back and they just cuss out the person at the counter at their fast food restaurant. You know, like, like they, were, they, were, they were looking at you saying, hey, let's get their order wrong. I don't like the way this person looks. Let me get it wrong for them. Let's put pickles on there. They don't want pickles. Put them on there. <laughs> Things happen. If we can just learn to be patient, we can reflect His love to people. Just affirm that, you know, God's working. You know, I, I just want to say to, to any teenage girls that are listening that if your boyfriend is explosive and throws temper tantrums now, I'm here to tell you, when, if you get married to that person, he will beat you. Are you paying attention? Because while you're dating him, you're seeing him at his best now. It's the truth. If he comes out, out to start the car and the battery is dead because he left the lights on and he screams at you and kicks the car and curses God in the world, flee. Flee to the mountains. <laughs> get far away from me and go to your daddy and say, Daddy, go and kill this boy and get him out of my life. No, don't, don't do that. Because he might do it and then you've got all kinds of other issues. But, but, but just affirm that God is working on your imperfections. When, when those things come, He's working on you. <laughs> And he's working in his own way, and he's working in his own time by his grace. All right? I'm going to close with this. I, I recently heard about a, the, the training of a Saudi Arabia, in Saudi Arabia, of a sheik's horse. Beautiful, magnificent, powerful Arabian stallion, the, the greatest horse in all of the land. It was the strongest, swiftest, most powerful horse reserved only for the sheik himself. And what they do did was they, they, they take that horse and they teach it everything. The trainers, they, they, they have to break that horse and bring it to the point where it is finally ready for the sheik to ride. And, and when they have trained it to the point where they think it's ready, then what they do is they do one more thing because they want to make sure that this horse, horse is gentle enough to yield to his master's bidding. So they take him out, they put him in a corral in the middle of the desert, and they leave him without water until the horse is just mad with thirst. I know this sounds cruel, but this is what they do. And they, they, they're just driven by thirst. 
Then they take a small child and mount that child on the horse's back. And then they put a bucket of water outside the corral and they open the door. As that horse just begins to run pell-mell with that child on his back toward the water, the sheik himself will call the horse by name and say, Stop! Return to me this moment. Well, if that horse goes on to the water, then he's disobedient. If he pitches the child, he isn't gentle. However, if he stops, mindful of the child on his back, and returns, to the, returns gently and meekly to his master's hand, then he is fit for the master's use. And that same horse, only a week later, well-watered and well-fed, clothed in the richest garments imaginable, rides at the head of a parade as the sheik himself sits atop it. His life is filled with a richness of purposeful use that he would never have had known had he not been sent into the desert because of his rebellion and imperfection. He yielded himself despite the cry of his own appetites, the desire of his own thirst. And he proved gentle enough for a child and patient to obey the master's voice when obeying made no sense at all. How rebellious and petulant are we? What petty children we are. How explosive in our anger. How self-centered in our ways we are. And yet, God wants to set to, to free us up to the fullness, the richness of an abundant life. I don't know about you, but I say, God, I don't want to be a prancing stallion unfit for your use. I want to be gentle under the hand of my master that I might have his abundant life. Amen. Let's, let's bow your head. Let's pray together. Father, as we come into your presence, Lord, this is a difficult, difficult issue for us when it comes to patience and gentleness. We are not naturally patient. Very few of us anyway. We want what we want. We want it now. And yet, God, we know that You're a God of patience. You're a God who has a timetable. You're a God who does the right thing in exactly the right way at exactly the right time. And Lord, we want to learn just to wait on You. We want to be people of, of patience who walk in gentleness as a result of the patience. And so God, as much as some have said not to do it, we pray for patience. Because God, we know that You're already working in us. You're giving us opportunities to grow. But maybe God, if we pray for it, we recognize those opportunities. And instead of flying off the handle, instead of getting upset, instead of complaining, instead of whining, that we would realize, hey, wait a minute, this is an answer to my prayer. This is the moment where I can grow. And Lord, even if it's a small step, just help us, God. Move us. And Lord, for those that are enduring under, they're, they're walking underneath a heavy load, they're dealing with issues, their circumstances and problems of life are so great. Lord, I pray that You would give them the strength of, of the Holy Spirit to hold up under those things and continue to move. And say, Lord, whatever You're working, whatever You're doing, finish Your will, finish Your purpose. Because God, we know that there are times that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death and we walk through difficult times. And the, and the goal is, we know You're going to bring us out. But, through, as, but because we walk through those things, God, you give, us, you give us an audience with other people who walk through those. And I pray, God, that you'd help us not only to live with patience and to learn what we need to learn and to let you do what you're going to do. But through that, God, I pray that you'd give us an audience with those around us. That they would see the, the patience of God and say, I don't get it. I don't know how you live this way. And we could say, oh, trust me, this is, not, this is not natural. This is the work of God. I serve a patient God who does all things well at just the right time. And because I trust Him, I wait on Him. With heads bowed and eyes closed and there's nobody looking around, I, I don't know where anybody is. I don't know what's going on in your life, but 
maybe you're here and you'd say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me because I'm dealing with some big issues, dealing with some hard things. And I'm just, I'm just asking God to help me have strength to, to not whine and complain about it, but to just keep moving forward in my walk with Jesus and, and let Him do what He's going to do. That He would give me the strength to be a light shining in the darkness that's all around me. If that's you, would you just lift your hand up where you are? Yeah, there's all, all over the place, lots of hands. Maybe there's others here that say, Pastor, I need you to pray for me because I struggle with patience. I know it's hard to be patient, uh, be honest about this, but, but you say, Pastor, pray for me because I get in certain situations and, and the self-control is gone, the patience is not there, and I just want God to, to change my heart. I want Him to change who I am. I want to be able to respond with the patience of God and just wait on Him. And I don't want to manipulate the situation. I don't want to try to make things happen. So teach, Lord, just, you'd say, just pray for me that the Lord would teach me to wait. And if that's you, would you slip your hand up? Yeah. Oh, they're all over the... I'm, I'm talking to the right people today, obviously. That's my prayer. It's my prayer. Lord, you saw every hand. You know, everything that we're dealing with, those that are walking through difficult circumstances, God, give them strength. As they wait on you, Lord, help them to endure. As they continue to walk with you, as they keep their eyes on you, they continue to serve you, they continue to grow, and Lord, just help them just to wait patiently as you're working out the details and getting everything in place. And Lord, for those that are just saying, Pastor, uh, I need prayer, that, that like me, Lord God, that they at times struggle with, their, with being impatient. God, just let that fruit grow in us. And help us to begin to see those moments, even if they're small moments, whether it's in traffic, at the fast food store, at the grocery store, online, or wherever it is, God, help us to begin to recognize the moments that you've set up for us to be able to respond in a, in a way that honors you, in a way that expresses patience and love and kindness. And I pray, God, that as we do, that you'd help us to grow in that so that it would become more and more natural to us. And that one of the things that would mark our life is that people would look at us and say, wow, they are truly a person of patience. And we'd be able to say, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why because I haven't always been this way. And that you give us opportunities, give us those doors to be able to share our faith with others.